Welcome to the uh, Beyond Normal podcast. My name is Kenny Groom. I'm the host. Right now, you know, I'm excited to have Sterling Smith. He's the uh, founder of uh, Sandbox Commerce, which is the go-to choice for businesses trying to build up their uh, mobile app experience. Thanks for joining us, Sterling. It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me, Kenny. Appreciate that. All right. I, I want to hop right into things with you because I know uh, you have a lot to tell about your story. So I want you to give us just a little bit of background throughout your career and how you landed in this spot as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, it, I was uh, born in Dallas, but raised in Northeast Texas. And thanks to exposure from my, my parents, who were both educators, I quickly fell in love with technology, specifically, initially kind of like playing games on computers, but shortly thereafter, software development. Again, very novice level software development, the first language that I played around with this QBasic um, in the computer lab at this private school that my mom taught, taught history at. And um, the fortunate few who knew at a very young age uh, what I wanted to do with my life, even though I didn't even know it was called software development or computer science until later, uh, later in life, but ended up majoring in computer science at the University of Texas at Tyler and then accepted a job with Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas as a computer programmer analyst. And really quick, kind of to bring you up to speed pretty quickly, I spent just over a year at Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas, um, and then went to go work in Doha, Qatar for Lockheed Martin. Um, didn't know where it was whenever they reached out, whenever Lockheed reached out, I didn't know where it was, but was, uh, accepted, the, accepted the job um, on, on a challenge for my brother who told me I wouldn't do it. But it was actually, you know, at the time, life-changing money and a life-changing opportunity for me to work abroad. And I'll say that that was a transformative experience. You know, I was definitely uh, more of a, not necessarily a country bumpkin, but definitely had a limited perspective on, on, on the world. My worldview was limited and that kind of gave me a global perspective. So did software development abroad um, in my early twenties and then went to go work for, I went to go work for, for Booz Allen Hamilton in Washington, DC um, from there uh, as a software development and management consultant. And I spent about five years working for Booz Allen on various primarily government contracting um, projects. Um, when about halfway through my tenure there, about two and a half to three years in, had the realization that if I'm not careful, um, I might be here for the rest of my life, uh, which was not necessarily a bad thing, but I saw guys who were doing, you know, making a lot of good money who were across the hall from me, they'd been there for 30 years. And I was like, this is great, but it's not for me. I just felt like there was a higher calling, so to speak. Um, so after some self-reflection, decided to work with my leadership to relocate me to Texas. I really wanted to come to Austin, Texas initially, but there, was, there were not any opportunities just yet in Austin. So uh, I was relocated to San Antonio, te Texas. Worked there for a year to fulfill my engagement and then left to kind of start my entrepreneurial uh, journey. Um, and my, the first company that I started was when I moved from San Antonio to Austin, was a company called Launch Partner. And what Launch Partner is, is it's a kind of like your traditional software development agency, but we mm -hmm. took a very, a very um, unique approach to developing software with the mindset that we should focus on building an MVP for subject matter experts who were non-technical that wanted to build their vision and needed help building that vision. And our philosophy was that if it took longer than eight weeks to build, it probably was not an MVP. So we kind of went in uh, with those subject matter experts to, you know, uh, solve the problem they were looking to solve, um, but really, you know, basically took out anything that was not related to core functionality. 
And after about three years into that, that was six years ago when I started that, within three years, I effectively built the company to generate at least, you know, just over a million in revenue and uh, was kind of working with mentors of mine to help me determine what the next chapter of my, of my life might look like. And one mentor was really encouraged me to build my own product because I've been building products for other companies. And he said, hey, Sterling, I'd like you to think about where you can build a product and what that product might look like and what problem it might solve. And he was a, a venture capitalist, um, but really had a heart to help, you know, um, early stage founders of color. And so he was imparting these nuggets of wisdom in me after we met and kind of over several months uh, working with him, I came to the conclusion that it would be really interesting if we built technology that allowed non-technical folks in the retail space to drag and drop their way to building a fully native mobile app application to increase engagement with their customers on mobile devices. That was kind of the initial thesis statement. And his initial response was, wow, is there nothing that like that that exists right now? Um, and, and while solutions like WordPress and Wix and Squarespace all not only existed, but were very popular, we couldn't find any category king, so to speak, in the mm -hmm. space of mobile app developers and specifically mobile app developers, no code solutions, they call it now, no code solutions for retailers. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, hmm, okay, that means that they they're, that they're either, they, they've either been unsuccessful or this is a novel idea. Um, but we quickly learned that there were several retailers who, I mean, retail tech entrepreneurs and pioneers that tried it and failed. And upon reflection, kind of came to the conclusion that many of those retailers were just too early or ran out of funding, et cetera, et cetera. Through my network, I was actually able to grab coffee and speak with some of those no-code pioneers and learn what worked, what didn't work, and learned a few things to really stay away from. Uh, it was very valuable for me. Fast forward, today what we've built is this drag and drop app builder for retailers that helps them uh, build a mobile application. When I say mobile application, I mean iPhone and Android app application that consumers download from the app store um, that are really optimized for several things. The core functionality is to help those consumers that are considered the brand, loyalty, uh, brand loyalist, discover products, receive push notifications about sales. Uh, in this current day and age, use it to, to deliver contactless shopping experiences between the brand and retailer. So curbside commerce is one new solution that we're the only provider that, that provides a solution like this to date. But there are quite a few other things that we, we do. But in a nutshell, what we're up to is Sandbox Commerce is helping those retailers that traditionally wouldn't be, would need to spend $200,000 a year or more to build an application to do that for as little as $99 a month to get started. And then um, to, to really in increase engagement with their, with their most loyal customers, or as we call them, their best customers. Got it, got it. That's a long answer. But yeah. no, no, I like I like the story. I, I like how you, um, you know, you, you reference, you know, using that kind of technical curiosity that you had really your whole life and kind of transitioning in what you're doing now. And you were building products for other people and decided, hey, you know, I want to build something of my own kind of want to go off, off script a little bit. What would you say is the biggest difference building something that is your idea versus building something for other people? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I can say is that, you know, typically, typically when you're building something for someone else, what I can say is that we, at my first company, 
took pride in the fact that we treated the products that we built for our, uh, for our customers as our own. I think in order to really do a great job and to make sure the code is maintainable, scalable, clean code, taking considerations and uh, to my to heart that you typically wouldn't the typical third-party developer doesn't take to heart we've always taken ownership in the work that we've done uh, because this is our this is kind of our name on the line that's kind of how we feel about it however uh, no matter how hard you try you're not going to build that application to the extent um, you can't build an application to the extent that you would build it for yourself because for yourself or when you own the business you know, you're, you're living and breathing with that application and that application alone. You know, what I can say is with, with the first company, I spent a lot of time kind of, you know, spending three to six months on a project and then moving on to the next one or working on two projects at once. Whereas in this project, I literally have been, I have lived, breathed, ate, slept, uh, no code solutions for the retail space specifically. And now really going down, solving problems related to, to curbside commerce and contactless engagement due to the new normal with COVID-19, et cetera. I've literally lived, breathed, ate, slept that for the last three plus years. Um, so with that being said, you just don't have that opportunity to really live with the, with the problem as much as you would if you were the founder of a company. And right. in addition to just focusing on the technical side as the founder of this company of Sandbox Commerce, I'm also handling every other aspect of the business for the most part especially as a kind of an underfunded company by uh, anyone's estimation, you know, dealing with everything from accounting to customer success, to quality assurance, to mm -hmm. human resources, you know, dealing with all that with a small team is definitely unique when you're building a product for yourself. I mean, uh, on your own. Mm -hmm. Wearing all those hats. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you touched on something, uh, you mentioned COVID, you know, that's obviously something that's impacting every business, every industry right now. How do you see, like, what's your outlook now that you've kind of lived and breathed that retail, that retail tech kind of air um, for as long as you have? But what's your, uh, your, your gut feeling, your, your uh, kind of instinct tell you about what retail is going to look like moving forward? Because, you know, there have yeah. been some, some negative kind of tones just in um, the world around, you know, is retail going to exist in its current form? Right. No, that's a great question. And excuse me, what I'll say is that, you know, analysts from Goldman Sachs to McKinsey um, have chimed in on the same topic. And I think that, that one commonality there is that there's a understanding that the retail space has accelerated from an adoption of new technology perspective over the last three or four months, more than four or five years, as it was projected. I mean, I think that most, most analysts and, and industry insiders will say that they were expecting more retailers to leverage technology to increase engagement with their customers over time, but it was going to happen in several years, pre-COVID. And what we're seeing is now having a robust web experience, a responsive mobile experience, and native mobile application is a must for the growing retailer. Some of the retailers that we grew up knowing about and brands as well, Lucky just, just filed for bankruptcy um, within, the last week, within the last week. J. Crew is, I think, Chapter 11 bankruptcy right now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's undergoing that. And many of, the retail, many of the retailers that we know and love that were either 
all or predominantly focused on the physical brick and mortar space are in trouble right now. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that brings me joy, but the silver lining for companies like Sandbox who have been, you know, frankly, fully remote since 20, late 2017, our teams have fully been working remotely. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been working on solving problems for the future of retail since for the last three years. Uh, we're in a very strong position. And I'm super excited about the opportunity that we have to listen, to observe, and to collaborate with the best retailers to solve some of the hardest problems that exist. Uh, we're, we're more prepared than most any other company that exists right now, frankly, um, mm -hmm. to, to help these retailers solve these problems. And I'm humbled to be in the position and our team is working around the clock to make sure that we meet the demand. And when I say, when I talk to the demand, I'll say in closing the, that we're seeing sustained growth, um, even above Black Friday uh, months, leading up to Black Friday months, um, since the last two and a half months. And so still a very small lean team, but we are capital efficient and, you know, incredibly scrappy. And so we're rising to the occasion. So shout out to the team. I think, I think you touched on something there where it's um, what your business is doing. A lot of, uh, you, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs right now have to do it, right? They have to kind of buckle down. You know, you're going to have to wear multiple hats. You're going to have to kind of dig deep. And the ones that are able to make it through this in, in a situation like yours, you guys are going to be really in a prime position to move forward. You know, as your industry kind of pivots, you're going to be in a good spot. So uh, I appreciate you giving that kind of insight. Um, so, you know, we're dealing with COVID right now. That's the first pandemic. Uh, the first issue that's really plaguing us right now. The other one is really, you know, just around the conversations that, you know, we're having right now around the racial injustice going on here in America and, you know, honestly, worldwide. So, you know, how is that impacting you kind of in your day-to-day, -day, day life? And, you know, how does, what kind of challenge does that present for your business moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that for uh, the immediate effect and, you know, it's hard to, to put your thumb on an answer like that, um, to just nail it down. There are so many layers. First and foremost, my heart breaks for the families of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the communities that were impacted by their losses. And we're having incredibly important discussions as a nation, things that people of color have, have been aware of and have been experiencing, frankly, as long as I've been alive. So, you know, as I think through how it impacts the business, Obviously, this impacts the business in, in, in more ways than we have time to discuss during this podcast. Um, but what I can say is that, you know, if, I'm, if I want to focus on the positive, which I will, you know, it's certainly um, the combination of COVID-19 and these injustices that have occurred over the last month or so is, uh, has forced and is forcing us as a nation, collectively Black, White, Hispanic, Asian, et cetera, to look at the, the systems that are in place and how they impact adversely black people um, at every socioeconomic strata, you know, and specifically um, as it relates to what I'm up to, you know, black, black founders see less than 1% of venture capital funding. And this is something that has been said literally a million times um, since I've been in the startup space from founders of colors, investors who have a, a, a national stage have been speaking about this mm -hmm. and allies as well. 
and other communities have been speaking about this, but the needle hasn't moved at all. Not from, not one percentage since I've been, um, you know, growing my company. And it's been incredibly frustrating. And part of the reason why, and I think we, I didn't, I may have glossed over this, but part of the reason why I still have my other company and I haven't exited that company is because that company has provided uh, much needed revenue to sustain the business in times where VCs were not effing with me. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is just as recent as this week, you know, I'm talking with investors who are telling us that in order to write a seed stage check, that they still need, that they need to see $50,000 a month in recurring revenue. And, and with a straight face, and I, and I appreciate um, that, but it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel real when we have competitors in the space who are, who, who have literally not, you know, I wouldn't say that they've robbed our IP, but they've been in, the, in our back end looking at how we're doing things while we were in beta and they were even earlier than us and figuring out how we're doing things. Those same white founders have raised $16 million, which is just over 16 times what we've raised to date. Mm -hmm. And investors are still checking cheddar like a food inspector, as, as Jay-Z says. Mm -hmm. And it's, just, it's, it's crazy to me. And so the good news is that today, as we're talking right now, we're having multiple discussions with investors. Um, and so for those that don't get it, or for those that aren't ready to take the leap uh, with someone who doesn't necessarily pattern match, um, no problem. We're focusing on the yeses right now. And so mm -hmm. the long answer is, is that we're excited about um, the attention that founders of color, specifically black founders are receiving and the attention that the disparity in, fi in financing, among other things that exist, um, um, uh, that's really affected the black community as a whole, we're excited to see those discussions really get some uh, much needed air, so to speak. They've been acknowledged in the past, but nothing's changed. And so I hope that one day I can be a part of that change. I hope that I can really be in a space to write checks to, to founders who may not have been considered because, because of attributes that just don't matter, uh, that, don't, that don't determine whether or not a company is viable, the market's viable, the team's viable. I think that that's something that we've been on and, me, and several of my friends have been on the, the adverse side of, and I'm excited to see that change. And I think that more than ever, this is something that's, um, sorry about that. This is something that is, is changing right now. I appreciate that. You had a lot of nuggets there. You know, I'm only really, you know, this is episode four of my podcast, but you know, entrepreneurs like yourself, I think you guys are really, you guys, whether you know it or not, are really set, you know, setting the precedent right now, right? So, you know, people, you know, five years from now, they're going to look at the things that you guys are doing um, and the conversations that you're starting to have, and you're really a trailblazer. So I appreciate you um, for, you know, just sticking to the grind and, you know, owning your piece of the pie. You have a lot of, um, you have a voice right now. We all really do. Um, and you're utilizing yours, I think, to the best of your ability. So I appreciate you for that. Um, Thank you. You know, you know, in closing, you know, I always, you know, like to pass it to my guests and I just want to see, you know, how, how do people, uh, one, kind of reach out and kind of learn more about you and the business as well, right? Because we want to we want to make sure people are able to utilize Sandbox Commerce. Um, and if, you know, on the back end of that, if there's anything you want to kind of leave the, the podcast off with, you know, I want to throw it to you. Yeah, man, my goal in coming on this podcast is to uh, help raise awareness about what we're up to. And I want to just say thank you for providing the opportunity for me to do, to do just that. I think that 
we, everything we've done has been grassroots and uh, our customers have been incredibly supportive of what we've been doing to date. And our community, uh, Kenneth, has been really important to the growth that we've seen. So I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. Now, how do you get in touch with me? Uh, I'm on the social media platforms uh, at Sterling Smith. And I actually have a, a website that I recently redesigned that kind of gives you kind of a, a brief summary of what we're up to. And I usually keep it up to date with blog posts and things like that. But you can find me at sterling.ooo. That's okay. uh, the letter OOO. And uh, my DMs are open. One thing that I'll just you know leave you with and your, your audience with is that if there's any way that I can be helpful, a model that I live by is as you climb lift. So you know, as I'm like climbing up the side of the mountain to try to try and reach the, the peak, I'm also here to help out other people. Because I think that the experiences that I'm going through are probably more relevant to a person that's six months or, or 12 months behind me in their journey mm -hmm. than if a VC uh, who's a non-operator or someone who's been removed for five years. That's what I've experienced. My favorite mentor and advisor and investor is a guy by the name of Morgan Linton, who's a founder of a company called Bold Metrics. And um, I love Morgan uh, whenever we get a chance to talk uh, because um, he's able to give me feedback and real world um, insight into things that he just finished experiencing. And he's kept it real with me since day one, as well as investing in the company in the early stage. So that being said, you know, um, that's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm following his example. And so if anyone needs any help um, solving problems as it relates to their, their businesses, uh, want to dive deeper into some of the challenges I'm having, if you want an extended free trial, whatever, man, holler at me. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that, Sterling. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the Beyond Normal podcast. Thanks, Sterling. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast. I can be reached by cell phone uh, via call or text at 980-263-9921. I'm interested in connecting with other business owners across different industries and looking forward to the conversation.